0: Hey, Ontario is a have province again. Woo. Who? Do we cheer about this? I don't know. I don't think so. We just heard Jacqueline LaBelle say our deficit's rising to over $12 billion this year and we have a weak economic forecast. Well, that's not anything to cheer about. But we're a have province, according to what's coming out of the finance ministers' meetings that started yesterday. Woo. I don't know. I have no idea. It means we don't get equalization payments. So they've added up personal income tax and business income taxes and consumption taxes and a bunch of other taxes. And they've decided, no, we're good. You guys are on the right track. Yeah, but our, our deficit's rising and we have a weak economic forecast. Congratulations. You will not be getting any equalization payments. Let's not deal too long with that because that just goes up, down, this way, that way. It's hard to figure out what that in the end means. It means that we'll have to find money in other, other places, right? We'll, we'll just find it in, in taxes, won't we? Of course we will. We'll do something like that. It'll be fine. Ontario is not sliding into Lake Erie. That we do know. Geographically, for sure. That's okay. Hey, there is a new study that is going to take 10 years. But it's starting, well, let's say right around now in earnest. It has begun. They have some early results on this. And it has told the people who are conducting the study that this is good enough that we should keep going. And here's the study. They have taken a look at 11,000 kids and actually, sorry, they've taken a look at a few kids, and it's shown them they should take a look at 11,000 kids for a decade. These kids are 9 and 10 years old. It's going to cost $300 million, and it's being done by the National Institutes of Health in the United States. So what are they looking at? Well, they're looking at screen time. They are looking at the brains of 9 and 10-year-olds, and they are looking at, What's happening to their brains if their parents say, yes, they do use a phone or an iPod or an iPad, and they do kind of stare down on it and, you know, play away. What happens to their brains? Well, the first batch of individuals was 4,500 participants. And this is what they found, that the outermost layer of the brain The one that processes information from the five senses is shrinking in the kids who are 9 and 10 who apparently get a good dose of screen time on iPods, iPads, and phones. What does that mean? Well, again, they're not overly sure. This is why they're grabbing now 11,000 children to take a look at this more in depth. And it's going to take a decade so, uh, mark this down, maybe put a reminder in your phone, December the 10th of 2028, we'll meet back here, and there should be an announcement of some kind. Actually, you know what, it'll take longer than that. Let's, let's give them time to analyze the data. How much time are they going to need? Let's make it December the 10th of twenty thirty. Right around the time we should know whether or not the temperature on the earth is rising to a point at which there is no return. It'll be a big day. December 10th, 2030. Put that in your phone. This is going to be exciting. And we'll find out what's happening to all of these kids. But the thing is, and I think this is what we have to take from it early, there are changes in the brain when you look at somebody who has been... Staring into the old iPad, iPod, and phone. Now, they don't know whether these are changes for the better. Maybe, who knows? Maybe that if that outermost part of the cortex of the brain shrinks, hey, maybe you have a better sense of smell. I don't know. They don't know either. So that's why they're grabbing 11,000 people. You don't immediately look and say, oh no, there's a nine or 10 year old, and they're using an iPad. Break it! Smash it on the ground! Step on that! Don't do that, because they don't know exactly what this means. The human brain's gone through a lot of changes over its time. And this is now what they're studying, just to see if there is an effect. And December 10th, 2030, we should know. The Olympics are not focusing in on people who like to stare at screens at all. They're going to stay screen people free they were asked whether or not they would be e- including esports sometime in the near future. That's not going to happen. But hey, Olympics, you guys are the ones who put in ballroom dancing a little while ago and tried to make that an Olympic sport. If you look at the popularity of this, if you actually allow esports in, and eventually they're going to have to, I think eventually esports might replace regular old sports worry about all of the injuries that take place and what happens to people's heads and eventually they'll just say you know kids are willing to watch other kids play this video game stuff let's let's just switch to that it's far less costly you know what we can make a lot of money because people will buy it on pay-per-view or whatever service we have then and we don't have to pay the athletes the athletes are virtual think of the money we'll make That's what's going to kill regular sports, but that's a few years off. The Olympics have decided no eSports, at least for now. They say that they are not ready to refer to video gaming as a sport. Again, these are the same people who called ballroom dancing a sport for a period of time. And then that was quickly removed, but that was decided at a major summit in Lausanne, Switzerland, and there were a number of different concerns from people about the Olympics. They were worried about uh, the Olympic values. Uh, they're worried that right now eSports is too fragmented to accommodate an international governing body. So they don't have that yet. Yeah, but they will. So does that mean that you should include MMA because they have uh, a governing body? I don't know how international it is, but it's fairly international. Who knows? They're saying no, at least for now. And if you are tired of doing your laundry, there is a new app for that. This could be the next thing. We've already gone through Uber and Lyft, and they have settled themselves in, so ride-sharing services. We also have food delivery services, so that you don't have to go out and actually go to a drive through and, and wait for... All that time in your car all the four or five minutes for somebody to bring you a burger. You don't have to do that. They'll deliver that right to your house. Now they're ready to do laundry. And they're actually billing this. And this, this is what I wonder about. They say that the notion of waiting to do your laundry and the time that you waste doing your laundry... Makes you so unproductive that you should push a button on your phone, order the laundry service to come by, grab your laundry, take it away, and eventually bring it back to you. And this is quicker than a dry cleaning service. This, this is what they're trying to sell to everybody. And as ridiculous as it might sound, wait a minute, ride sharing's working, uh, food delivery is working, what's to say this won't work? You can check out Wash Out, which is one of the apps that is out there. Wash Out Laundromat has decided this is what they want to do. And they feel that it will put them ahead of everybody else. And soon people will say, I don't have time to do laundry, even if I'm not making use of a laundromat. Here, let me push this app and I can watch the little car with, what, the bubbles coming out the back of it come down on my phone And bingo, here's my laundry. I'll see you Thursday. I don't know. Up next, we are going to, on London Live, talk about some shopping habits, shopping and trends that exist right now. Are you willing to leave work to go and do your holiday shopping? Are you willing to try and sneak out of work? And how are numbers on Black Friday and Cyber Monday actually doing? Are people... Making use of those dates and and really getting all of their shopping done? If you think they are, they're not. So what are our shopping habits as we go through one of the highest concentrated shopping parts of the year? We will find that out. We are also going to talk about safe injection sites a little later on in the show. We are going to look at hotel tax revenue that has been collected. And you know what? This is working out. Anybody who wondered whether or not we were going to make money off this as a city, yeah, we're making money, over 300000 bucks. but what do you do with that money? Now the Junos have raised their hand and said, you know what, we could make this a really great event if... And they've pointed at some hotel tax revenue. So what do we do? We'll talk about that. We'll talk about changing designations in the sport of hockey. If you have a son or a grandson, a daughter, a granddaughter, perhaps your dog is a really good hockey player... And they're playing Pee Wee. Well, how old are they? I don't know, they're Pee age. Well, how old is that? 10? 12? I don't know. Oh, they're going into Tyke or Adam. What do these names even mean? For a country that makes use of the metric system, the designations that we have for our young hockey players, this has to change. Look at soccer, look at basketball. I hate to copy something from soccer because it's a sport that doesn't allow you to keep score most of the time. But they have designations like under 12, under 14, under 7. You can understand exactly how old somebody is. They're going into novice. I don't know how old that is. It's like our country uses the metric system, and yet for our hockey playing designations, we're still stuck on the imperial system. Well, that's a quart. Well, that's a mile. Well, that's a yard. All of these things make no sense, which is why we changed away from them. Why haven't we changed away and copied what some other sports and even some other countries have done in the sport of hockey? We'll talk about that in a little less than an hour from now. London Live, underway on a Monday. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. couple of things coming through. You can email anytime, Mike, at 980cfpl.ca. Alan says... Mike, I might agree with you that ballroom dancing doesn't belong in the Olympics, but I can guarantee you that ballroom dancers are far more athletic than your average e-gamer who plays video games hours on end while sipping on Coke and eating chips. Yeah, you know what? I, and this, this is where we have a line. Are gamers athletes? No, they're not athletes. But I would even say, because the argument always comes in for auto racing. Wow, drivers are not athletes. Have you met one? Have you seen what they do? In order to operate that vehicle, I would put them into a category of athlete. Gamer, you're holding a controller. So, hard to call you an athlete, but the Olympics is going to have to take advantage of this, because the money that exists... What is the Olympics all about? Oh, it's about international sport competition, friendship, and... No, it isn't. It's about money, and that's all that it's about. You know, the idea that people get to go and represent their country, that's for the athletes, okay? And that is what it is about for them, representing their country, being the best of the best. But the Olympics as an organization, that's about money. That's not about anything else. The IOC cares very little about much unless they can make money off of it. You don't think I'm wrong, do you? But with e-games, that's coming. They're going to eventually jump on board and they will e-game away at the Olympics. They'll find a way because there is too much money involved. They obviously just haven't found a very good way to deal with it yet. But that'll be coming. Email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can reach me on Twitter at Stubbs980. We're going to talk shopping habits in just a couple of minutes. And we are also going to look ahead to the New Year's celebrations that are going to take place in London. We'll have this in about 20 minutes from now, as a matter of fact. There are some changes this year, but they're pretty neat changes, and Marcus Plowright is going to join us in studio on London Live, and he will take us through what is taking place. New Year's Eve? Oh, that's that's really far away, and we don't have to worry about that yet. No, actually, it's not. It's only three weeks from today. Three weeks from today is New Year's Eve. Three weeks from today. That means Christmas Eve is two weeks. We do have to get shopping. We better find some things out. And we will in just a moment. But first, we can't kick off a week properly on London Live without chatting with our good friend Marilyn. Marilyn, how are you?
1: Oh, not too bad, thank you. I was to the church carol uh, service last night, and we had desserts after. And you never saw so much in the way of desserts in your life.
0: Really? And were all good. So tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Well, um, it was well attended, and we sang, oh, about a, a good hour of carols. And then afterwards, we went to the other part of the church, and the tables were set beautifully and decorated. And we sat around, and we had fun and laughter and all that kind of thing. And my dear friend Vivian, she went and got me Um, a whole lot of desserts.
0: (laughs) Marilyn, I'm glad that you called in just to set a nice holiday scene for us before we start talking about holiday shopping. Okay, now
2: I've
1: got uh, a picture in the mail of my grandchildren's dog, Ollie. You know, I was talking about him the other day, and you're going to get it, but maybe you better not show it to your wife because she'll want a dog just like him.
0: Well, just you describing Ollie made her want a dog just like him, so I better be careful with this.
1: Well, you know, if you really want to get her something, get her something she really wants. She can buy herself a pair of jeans, but she can't buy herself a dog.
0: No, what she really wants is a dog, though.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, she'd love Ollie. I'm telling you, that dog is well-trained. He goes over and pulls that... That uh, rope with the bells on when he has to go out and do his thing. And, uh, oh, he's so darling. You'd fall in love with him. Well, wait till you get this picture. Marilyn, I look forward to it. granddaughter with her dog. Now, you want to talk about shopping. Okay, I get my shopping through the year. I get. Uh, I have a really good Avon lady and a Tupperware lady that comes right here. And I give my friends Haven or Tupperware.
0: Marilyn, you've got it all planned out. That's why we love your wisdom on the show. Thanks so much for the call. All right, dear. Bye bye. You have a great day. 519 643 2222. That's 519 2222. We are talking about shopping. Marilyn has set the scene for us, and we have some new statistics that have actually come in in terms of shopping. And joining us right now is the shopping and trends expert with RetailMenot.ca to go over a lot of this, Sarah Skirball. Sarah, how are things today?
2: Hi, thanks very much for having me. Yes, well, things are getting crazy. People are down to the wire, even though it's you know still kind of the beginning of December. But what we're seeing as part of our research is that one in three Canadians are thinking about considering leaving work early to get their shopping done
0: one in three that sounds big
2: it is big thirty seven percent and you know, 41% of Canadians are saying they haven't even finished their, purchasing their gifts yet.
0: Now, we just spoke with Marilyn, who says she looks after this by doing it throughout the year, and now we've got days like Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Mm-hmm. You would think they offer all the deals. Are we not doing a lot of shopping on Black Friday and Cyber Monday?
2: Well, you know, what we saw in our research is that only you know a
0: small amount
2: uh, shopped on Cyber Monday, which was quite surprising to me. Um, but a lot of Canadians really think they're planning their are going to find the best deals on Boxing Day. Um, 56% of Canadians believe Boxing Week really offers the best discounts, even more so than Black Friday and Cyber Monday.
0: Really? Okay. We're talking right now with Sarah Skirball, shopping and trends expert with RetailMeNot.ca. Sarah, one thing that we hear is a really good tip going into holiday shopping season is to set a budget. Any statistics helping us out with budgeting this year?
2: Yeah, I think it's really, really important to set a budget. I mean, no one wants to get a credit card statement or a bill in January. um, And that kind of kicks the year off poorly. It's stressed out about money. So, you know, budget, setting a budget, knowing who you need to shop for, all very, very important. You know, what we're seeing in terms of stats is that um, millennials, Canadian millennials, 59% find it hard to stay within their budget. It was a really interesting year for millennials. You know, not only that, but they say that, Um, Their credit card bills, 54% of uh, millennials say their credit card bills from holiday shopping are often more than they, they anticipated. So like Marilyn said, it is nice to spread out your spending throughout the year or even start around August, September, October.
0: Okay, Sarah, one last thing, and that is if you go to one of our malls, if you want to feel festive, that's a great place to do it because you look up the line for Santa and you have all the Christmas carols playing. It's easy to get into the mood, but in terms of shopping online, how many people plan to shop online this year if, well, even let's look at Millennials?
2: Yeah, so we do know that three in five Canadian millennials are planning to do most of their shopping online this year, and I agree with you. I liked going. I like going to the mall. It gets me in the spirit. It's a little bit festive, but I totally understand if people like to shop from the comfort of their own couch. Just remember, you can still save money by getting online codes. Um, so don't pay full price, especially during this busy holiday season.
0: Sarah, thanks for all the tips. Thanks for having me. That is Sarah Skirball, shopping and trends expert with RetailMeNot.ca. So not necessarily shopping as much on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. People are one in three looking to leave work early to go and do that shopping. Everybody's going to exceed their budgets. Doesn't that always happen? That just means we're lucky. If you exceed your budget, you're lucky. And the other thing is, of course, that... People are shopping online, 62% saying yeah. Don't avoid the malls, though. Do not avoid the malls. Too good of an experience there, even if you have to lift your elbows high. Coming up next, we are going to talk about what's happening in three weeks from tonight. Oh, ho, oh, oh. ho. No, not that. After that, three weeks from tonight is New Year's Eve. We'll run down the lineup in London and how it all came together and some of the things that you can expect. And we will also take a look at Temporary overdose prevention sites and the latest offshoot of this story. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Let's take some time and talk about temporary overdose prevention sites and the supervised consumption facility. That is going to be placed. Now the proposed address is 446 York Street. That's the proposed site. And this comes down to the same old argument we have about a lot of different things. Not in my backyard. NIMBYism. I don't know who figured out that not in my backyard would actually give us a neat little name like NIMBY. But I think... That's helped to percolate NIMBYism over the years. So that's what we have. Not in my backyard. Where is 446 York Street? Well, it is less than 100 meters from that football field right by Beale. I think that is Beale's football field, isn't it? And it is less than 200 meters from Beale Secondary School. And so we have had, as Jacqueline LaBelle mentioned in her 130 news, a release from Drulo Holdings in London. And unfortunately, we don't have anybody who can speak with us right now from Drulo Holdings, but they do have information contained in their release. So their concern is that this is going against council policy, it's going against existing London plan policies. Because they had said that facilities were to be a minimum separation distance of 300 meters from public elementary secondary school properties and that that doesn't quite fit the bill. Now, they have written in their release that in addition to placing the supervised consumption facility close to schools, it will be directly next to residential properties and that presents yet another burden for local residents who are facing security issues from the nearby men's mission. Drulo has written, We feel the zoning change is premature and the proposed facility is not compatible with surrounding uses. We strongly agree that there is a moral responsibility within the community to help people with addiction problems, but this Band-Aid approach does not solve the problems presented by the crisis in our community. If you are to look at 446 York Street... Are you in favor of that being the site? I'm willing to bet if you live in that area, you're going to say no. I'm willing to bet that if you do not live in that area, you're going to say, well, we have to have it somewhere. Those are going to be the two answers, right? Let's open up the phones on this. 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. If we're looking at 446 York Street in London as a site... For the supervised consumption facility. And let's outline this for a second. Look at how many lives have been saved. Look at what facilities like this do. They can turn lives around because individuals will go there. Yes, they are intravenous drug users. Yes, they are making use of those drugs. But should something go wrong, they have someone there who is going to save their life. And we've had... We might, I, don't, I haven't seen a number recently, but the last time we talked about this was about a month and a half ago. And that number was in the 30s. So we had more than 30 lives that had been saved. So you can't go saying, well, this isn't really worth it. We're talking more than 30 human lives. To me, that's worth it. To you, is that worth it? And at the same time, the fact that people do arrive at... A place like a temporary overdose prevention site or at a place like this, which would be a supervised consumption facility. You're able to guide them and say, do you know about this? Do you know about this that could help you? Do you know about this program, this person? And that sort of thing can happen. Because, you know, we spend too much time probably in our own minds saying, well, you know, they're, they're drug users. They're drug addicts. Okay, well, have you talked to any of them and asked them if they would rather not be a drug addict? Have you ever met someone who was perhaps in that spot in their life and now has been able to get through it and got a lot of helping hands to do that? Have You ever talked to one of those people? They're some of the best people you'll ever meet because of what they have been through, because of what they have overcome. So you don't want to say, yeah, but all these people that are currently users, yeah, we don't we don't want them, we don't trust them, not in my backyard. 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca or you can tweet me at stubs 980 John, let's begin with you. How do you feel about this? You
3: know what? I want to put it this way. I don't want to say how I feel one way or the other on it, but I think the people that are against it, especially the people that live around there, are getting really beat up because they want... Uh, they don't want it there. Now, let's just say you and I are neighbors and uh, we've got families and uh, I come over to you one day and say, you know, Mike, I'm moving out, I'm moving you know, to Elderton, but I got one heck of a great offer to rent the house out that I've got right now to one of these sites. How are you going to feel about that? Are you going to like that? right next door to you and you're in the house that you live in right now i think you're going to get really reflective on that and you can't tell me the answer right now but you and your wife are going to sit down especially let's say it was a few years ago when your kids were younger you're gonna have a whole different attitude on this and i know that we have to have these but you know it's easy to beat up these people and what's the little acronym we're calling these people that don't want something in their backyard NIMBY's NIMBY's that's that's a real cute little thing to say about mm-hmm. these people but it comes down to They bought their houses. Their homes are probably the biggest investment as to all of us that we ever invest in. And would they have bought or invested in that property and raised their family in those homes if that site was there at that time? I'm going to say no. What's it going to do now to their biggest investment in their lives, possibly, for resale values? It's really easy for us that are not living around there. To say, oh, they're arguing, they're, shut up and let it happen. We need them. Yes, we do need them. But I have some passion for those people and I feel sorry for them when it's getting thrown in their backyard. Now, here's just something I'll throw out there. And let me just go back for one second. Just like us all, they are taxpayers. They pay property taxes, too, just like everybody else. So they should have a big say in what goes on on their street or right next door to them. But, you know, we've got three hospitals in town here, and they're sort of scattered over a little bit of area here. Why, you know what, why couldn't, uh, why couldn't those sites be at the hospitals? Three of them. There's three right at each individual. St. Joe's, uh, Vic, and, uh, and University. And if something does go wrong with one of these people, and I have compassion for them, but they're right at the hospital where they can be looked after, not an ambulance having to come out to one of these sites and bring them to a hospital. They're already in the hospital in a, an area where these safe injection sites could be. Um, I think they'd get more help there. I think there's a lot of social workers already in these hospitals that could direct these people if they do want the help to try and get off these drugs. I think it's more of a... Uh, a beneficial site at an actual hospital than at one of these clinics that they're planning. And again, I go back to the people there. We shouldn't be beating them up that live in those areas uh, and saying, you know, it's got to be somewhere. Uh, It's going to be in your backyard and you have no say about it. And if you're against it, you're the enemy. I really don't think we should be be beating these people up. And I think, like I say, there's three hospitals in this town that I think would make great sites.
0: John, I love all the points that you've made, and and for that reason, you asked a perfectly valid point right at the beginning, or made a per- perfectly valid point in that you know you have people who purchase their house in a certain area if something's not there before. I mean, you you look at this in a different way. Let's say you're in a city that has mountains, and all of a sudden you purchase a home, and you're told you have a mountain view, and the developer says, we will never build behind your house, you'll have a mountain view forever, and that lasts until a new developer comes in and says, let's build some houses right along here, right along these backyards. That's the kind of thing that goes on, and you know how we bring about questions of fairness, I, I don't think there is an easy way to make this fair.
3: There isn't, but you know, with what I've said, there's going to be people on the other side of the fence that are going to say, "You know what, but these people they live in that area that do the drugs, and you know uh, you're making it easier for them to get to a site. Well, you know, we all have issues, whether it's drug issues, uh, it could be alcohol issues, it could be anger, whatever it is. I think we all, no matter what issue we have, have to have some responsibility over that issue. And for the folks that need these sites, maybe they can take a little bit of responsibility over it and get themselves, if these ho- if these sites were in hospitals, maybe the LTC could do something that, uh, if, if they're on that list, they get a pass so they can go to whatever hospital is close to them, a free uh, uh, LTC ride back and forth uh, to that site. But uh, I just don't agree with beating up the people that are raising their kids or have lived in those neighborhoods for how many years, because I know darn well, if it was vice versa, that little scenario I gave you, I'd be pretty upset with you, Mike, if you told me, hey, John, I'm moving out, and guess who I'm renting my house to? Have fun, but I'm out in Elderton now.
0: John, thanks for the call. Have a great day. John makes excellent points, and that's what makes all of this so difficult. You can look and say one of the reasons why the site is being at least proposed for 446 York street is because it is close to the men's mission. And here's the other thing. It comes down to another pretty simple outlook. If you make something hard for somebody, they're not going to do it. And you want to try your best to help all of these individuals. But at the same time, yeah, as soon as you put this down, it is going to be within 200 meters, 300 meters, 100 meters of something. That's just going to happen. And that's why this has been such a difficult issue to deal with for so long. 519 643 Harold, how do you feel about this?
3: Yeah, Mike, I've always said years ago that when they were talking about these places, up behind Parkwood Hospital, there's some of the place camps there that the Army guys used to live in years ago. Now, the weather stations up there, as far as I know, used to be anyways, But there are stalls up there, places that could be fixed up for these things to go there. And then people would be close to the hospitals and have a bus run from downtown out there every once in a while. So if a guy needs a fix, he can get on the bus and ride right out there and get his fix.
0: Harold, again, it's it's one of those things that makes sense. I wonder how much the, if you make it hard for somebody, will they do it, would come in. And we'll, well, uh, we'll watch how this plays out. If you, lived in, out.
3: Mount, if you left in, lived in West and have to go downtown, is the same difference. And they say that these people that are on these drugs aren't just downtown. They're in the suburbs, too, hiding. True. True.
0: Well, Harold, thanks so much because that, that means, you know, that, that does make a lot of sense. Yep. Thank you. Take care. And it does. I mean... We're right back to square one, and that's where this whole conversation has always arrived. Right back to square one. Not in my backyard. Do we need it? Yes. Do you want it here? No. Do we still need it? Yes. Well, how about over here? No. Do we still need it? Yes. How about over here? No. So, a proposed site has been selected. We have seen some objection. We have seen even Drulo Holdings put out a statement. Questioning why it is in this spot, saying this goes against what had been stated originally, that it would not be within 300 meters of a property that was London District Catholic School Board property or Thames Valley District School Board property. Residential houses would be taken into consideration. We're left right back at square number one. So now this will be talked about. And it's up to the new council to start to figure this out. They meet tomorrow. Note from Alan, and Alan says, it doesn't matter where we put these sites. And that's that's exactly it. He says, it doesn't matter where we put. No one wants to look at or deal with the issue. Out of sight, out of mind. It's a part of our society. We've always just looked the other way on. Why do you think the city moved the social services from downtown? They didn't fix it. They spread it out. So it doesn't look As bad. Al, thanks for that. We'll take a break. More to come in a moment. We are going to talk New Year's Eve before our next news break, which comes up in about two minutes. We'll do that next. We'll tell you what's coming up because joining us in studio is the man who has been putting it together for this past year, Marcus Plowright. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Three weeks from today is New Year's Eve. Are you skipping over something? Well, for some people, sure. But New Year's Eve, that's big for everybody. And it is big in London, Ontario as well. Joining us is the chairperson of this year's event, the Start.ca New Year's Eve in the Park, happening at Victoria Park, Marcus Plowright. Marcus, thanks for joining us in studio. It is my pleasure. Well, we are now two weeks away from something called Christmas Eve, which means we're three weeks exactly away from Start.ca New Year's Eve in the park. When you get down to three weeks left, what's it like to be you right now?
4: Well, uh, most of the work is done by our hardworking committee, and a lot of people don't realize that that the enormous project that is the New Year's celebration is a community-led initiative that the city supports us in, but the community is... Uh, a committee of hardworking individuals trying to pull this off to benefit everyone in London from every means so that they have something uh, free, fun, and festive to do on New Year's
0: Eve. Now, changes coming into this year, there have been a couple. Uh, What would you point to first?
4: (laughs) The biggest change was last year when we tried to gear the talent to be local. So we really, uh, we celebrate local London talent, and this year is a real big extension of that. Starts at 7 o'clock. We have the London Life family uh, festivities for a couple hours, followed by uh, early fireworks at 9 for the kids and families. And then we do another set at 12. But in that first couple of hours, we have the Megan brothers, I should say the Megan boys from Toronto that are in. We have the Amabile singers. We have this incredible new group that won the contest so we had a contest uh, Battle of the Bands to see who would open this year and uh, the the most awesome band I've heard in years just happens to be two 14 year olds and a 12 year old
0: <laughs> when they stepped on stage, you would have noticed that they weren't maybe in their 20s uh, What did you expect and then what did they do to kind of wow everybody?
4: Well, what blows your mind is the the, the drummer's 12. And he looks 10 <laughs> and, uh, they are, uh, they are doing music very similar to Ozzy Osbourne. Really? So they're not playing, you know, soft favorites. They're, <laughs> they're hard at it. Uh, but they were so incredible. Um, their, their stage presence is incredible. Their performance Uh, the the face on the drummer as he uh, hits his licks is really quite something.
0: Wow. Well, you look at some of the things that have happened for them already. They've been in touch with uh, the producer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I mean, this this is big stuff.
4: I wouldn't be surprised if they're headlining uh, in the near future. But right now we have the great benefit of having all these families come into the park from 7 to 9, and they're going to be able to see their contemporaries up on stage just uh, just playing awesome music and really
0: entertaining the crowd. We're talking with Marcus Plowright, chairperson of the Start.ca New Year's Eve in the park, which is three weeks from tonight. New Year's Eve, we have three weeks left of 2018, and there will be a big old celebration. Anything else anybody should know before this gets going? If you didn't make it out last year,
4: which 15,000 people did, but I bet you 15,000 people decided not to because it was minus 28 outside. Sure. If it's even just marginally warmer than <laughs> next year, I think we'll see enormous crowd. And if you didn't make it out, you should realize that these London Music Awards All Stars, these greatest players and musicians and vocalists in our city come out and sing favorites, fan favorites all night long. It is a hell of a good party.
0: And the countdown, of course, comes up right at midnight. Everybody seems to be able to be very good at doing that. Are you backstage kind of with the, the uh, eye on the clock to see what's happening?
4: We have a clock up on the stage it's about the size of your studio, so it, we have a relatively good idea of what time it is.
0: <laughs> well, we'll look forward to it this year. Again, it gets going. You said at 7 o'clock?
4: Starts at 7 for families and starts at 9 for uh, a little more adult festivities, and it goes right through past midnight.
0: Come check out Mad and everybody else. Three weeks from tonight at Victoria Park. Marcus, congratulations on putting all of this together, and thanks for being here to tell us about it. Appreciate your time. Marcus Plowright, chairperson of the Start.ca, New Year's Eve in the park. We'll let you know what's coming up in Hour 2 of London Live next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. How old's your granddaughter? Oh, she's Adam age. How old's your son? He's novice. What does that even mean? Why do we still have those designations in our favorite old sport of hockey? We'll talk about that and whether or not they might be changing in about... 10 minutes from now we are also going to talk about the junos asking for hotel tax revenue and really the revenue that that hotel tax stuff is bringing in so far that's all on the next hour of london live on global news radio 980 cfpl you see the suspension that was handed out in the ontario hockey league you may not have I'll find the video, and I'll tweet it out at Stubbs980. Owen Tippett of the Mississauga Steelheads, very skilled player, skates over to a puck, sees a fan. It's a little foam puck that had been thrown onto the ice. And he flips it up to the fan. And then you see Owen Tippett talking with the referee, referee informing him you can't do that. Yeah, but it was just a a foam puck. I was trying to get it to that, that fan up there. You can't do that. You can't flip it up into the crowd. And Owen Tippett was given a one-game suspension. Now, there is a rule in the OHL that says you cannot flip pucks into the seats. That's worth five games. And that was just actually handed out to Luke Cavillan from Flint, their goaltender. And this is a rule that now people are going to say, wait, if he flipped a foam puck and he got a, a one-game suspension? and Or that guy flipped a puck and he got he got five games? If you kick out the back of a guy's skate and knocks him to the ice as a slew foot, that's only worth two games. Why is this five games? I don't mind this. I don't mind these suspensions. It's very difficult in the subjective world of hockey punishments or sports punishments to have it be, hey, if you do this, you get this. If you do this, you get this. And I think the Ontario Hockey League actually does a pretty good job of, if you do this, you get this. And this is the rule. You can debate whether or not that rule needs to be changed. But a long time ago, when we became more concerned about the safety of fans because of pucks that went into crowds, you look at the way that pucks are shot now, it's hard to get out of the way. That's why we have netting. You go to the sports center at Western Fair District, what do they have? Netting all the way around. And we're seeing more and more of that. Again, it's about the safety of the fans. And if players know, you know what? I can't do this. You know, as much as I want to get this to a fan, if you pick up the puck and you hand it to the fan, that's different. You just can't use your stick, but hockey players, especially guys who are in their teens, these are really skilled players. It's so easy to go, "Oh, I'll show you here. I'll flip it up to you with my stick." It's kind of the same thing, but by the rule book, it isn't. And you got to stay by the rule book, right? We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. My name is Mike Stubbs. This is London Live, brought to you by Winmar, your restoration specialist. If you have any renovation ideas, give them a call this winter. They can help you out with those. Never know, by spring, you could have a new kitchen, not even realize it. Let's talk a little bit about hockey from a different angle and the rule book of hockey from a different angle. Because we have seen stories that say we've got to eliminate the use of the word midget in hockey the thing i wonder about is all of these things if you are not directly in hockey and somebody says the word adam first of all you wonder which guy named adam they're talking about then you realize oh you mean a-t-o-m like the little hockey players yeah i don't know how old they are peewee i don't know 12 11 novice is that before adam or after We have all of these designations that if you're part of the sport, no problem. But a lot of other sports, like soccer, and like I said, I hate to point to soccer because they don't always keep score in all of their games for young ages, but they do have under eight. I know how old that is. It's less than eight. They have under 11. That would be less than 11. So what do we do with hockey? Do we stick with what's always been, or do we look at making changes? Joining us right now is someone who actually gets to be a participant in discussions that actually make the difference in whether or not things like this take place. Please welcome Tony Martindale, the executive director of Alliance Hockey, to London Live. Tony, thanks so much for taking some time out for us.
5: Thanks, Mike. Good to be with you.
0: Tony, let's talk about the designations. Does this discussion ever come up?
5: Well, it's funny, I I received a communication from uh, Hockey Canada uh, via the Ontario Hockey Federation uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, um, you know, they talked about the Basketball Association and how they are uh, dropping the midget classification, and um, usually when it happens in one sport, then, you know, it's not long before it happens in another. Um more recently and it's, last year we uh we started calling our midget under 18 and and we just felt like uh, we're in competition with uh, junior c hockey and you know there's a midget aaa and and we're big believers in playing with your own age category at at midget uh, 16 and 17 year olds versus say junior c and so we we went ahead and called our our, our uh, league the under 18 instead of midget so um, and I think you'll see that with a lot of the classifications that will start and it makes sense and I heard your intro there that you know if you're not a hockey person um, what is peewee you know but we all know what under 13 is or under 12 so you know, I, I, I agree with, with uh, doing that. And, I, and it does happen now in the U.S. that they, you know, they have, they're under uh, 18, they're under 16. And so I, I see us moving in that direction.
0: Would this be an umbrella thing that would have to spread across the country, or could this be done by whatever organizations wanted to do it?
5: No, I think it would have to, you know, the, if you go to the Hockey Canada rule book, I mean, midgets in there everywhere, right? And that's our governing body. So I think it would have to come forward uh, by the membership to uh, to change that designation from midget to under 18. Uh, and then, you know, we could probably do all the classifications at the same time. But um, the, to me, that's where it would have to start.
0: You mentioned Midget and that Hockey Canada had talked to you about that. There's another story that says, hey, the use of that word, maybe that should be taken away. Is that primarily what Hockey Canada is talking about, or could this extend to the under-18, under-12, under-8, under, under, under? Yeah, I
5: think that, you know, that's a, maybe a change in the way we look at hockey. You know, I I mean, we're you know, we're dealing with declining registration and, um maybe it's because you know we take these things for granted and where we need to look at it as um you know simple terminology that people can understand you know the uh, you know the under eight or or under 10 and that would make more sense to people that are just coming into the game
0: how much does declining registration come up in discussions among organizations
5: well, I I well, it's a it's a huge priority for Hockey Canada. You know, I think um and and if you look at um you know our culture now, I mean, we're um we've got all kinds of different ethnic groups that are are uh, in, you know, are in our in our uh, communities and, and we have to entice those um first generation canadians to play hockey we need more nazim cadres right that you know come over and uh i think a story is his father said that uh you know they're coming to canada i think his father was a soccer player and we're coming to canada we're going to play the canadian sport and you know so somehow we have to um we have to be more welcoming we have to get uh First-generation Canadians into the game.
0: We are talking with Tony Martindale, who is the executive director of Alliance Hockey. Tony, what else comes up in terms of discussion points if you look at either, you know, the fine points of the game, the good points of the game, or points that may need to be changed about the game?
5: Well, I think there's so many good points about the game. You know, you, have, um, you know, there's great stories about, uh, you know, how much kids enjoy the game and. Um, that's what we need to focus on we need to um you know we need to get the word out there and that um you know kids playing hockey is I mean I'm a big believer in it the you know when I grew up hockey was great you learn so many good uh you know life lessons work ethic discipline all those things that are crucial in our next community leaders and and there's no better game than hockey for for that uh, type of learning. And, you know, so those are the types of stories that we need to get out there. I, you know, I know uh, Tom Rennie at Hockey Canada is a big believer in that sort of thing. And, you know, it's not so much about the gold medals. It's about participation and getting kids involved in our game. And that's what we need to focus on is is the masses and the numbers and the rest will take care of itself.
0: Tony for a number of years we had well let's let's look at what Sweden's doing and here's the ratio of practice to game and here's how they divide up the ice during their practices and there were so many different things being looked at does that kind of stuff still go on or or have we gone away from that a little bit and said this is kind of what we do now in Canada
5: well no we you know it's funny i i think you know if you look at the mandate for IP and half ice hockey and the controversy around that and you know that program's been around for 30 years but there's just been a refocus of it uh, by hockey canada and you know i went out to our first ever halfway seven-year-old jamboree and i was so impressed with there was a buzz in the rink and um you know uh there was kids were getting 25 minutes of ice time in a in a in a game in an hour game instead of 10 and you know, it's just, it was, it was really nice to see and, and to me that's, you know, if we can get kids more ice time and they're, and they're playing in a confined area and they're working on their skills and all those things, that's a great thing for the game. Uh, and that's a solid foundation for those kids as they move forward. So, um, and, you know, we, took a lot of criticism over bringing that program back and and fully implementing it and anytime you mandate something people are up in arms but you know I was in the rank and talked to the parents and some coaches and people and Uh, I really felt good about uh, about that program and and the buzz that was in the rink and there wasn't anything negative at all. It was a a real positive atmosphere.
0: So you mentioned it as a jamboree for anybody who hasn't seen anything like that. How does it play out?
5: Well, it was you know the the focus wasn't on the score. Uh, It was more um, there's uh, two games going on uh, and it's it's half ice versus full ice. So and it was four on four, not five on five. Uh, There was, uh, I think, uh, 16 teams that participated. So, and over the course of a Saturday and Sunday, uh, the kids played uh, four games uh, against different competition from different centers. Uh, We tier the teams so that there's, you know, the better better teams playing against better better teams. Um, so that the skill levels uh you know fairly equal, and uh, you know we had smaller nets, so the nets were a little bit smaller than the regulation size nets um but it was just you know it was non stop action there weren't there was one face off to start the game and then it was kind of like street hockey or pond hockey when the puck went in the net the referee had another puck in his pocket he threw it out there and the kids kept going uh, there was a buzzer every uh, minute and 30 seconds and um you know the the buzzer went off and the kids changed quickly and four more came on uh so there was eight on each team so that you were on the ice every other shift so it was uh it was just a, a you know great action and And I can tell you the kids were uh, really tired by the end of it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No doubt the parents would be a little bit, too. We're talking with Tony Martindale, who is the executive director of Alliance Hockey. So in terms of discussions about either changing, taking away the name midget completely, or looking at some of the other designations, when would be the next time something like that might come up?
5: I would say at the, uh, you know, we'll hear something in January at the OHF meeting uh, when we get, you know, we've got this uh, bulletin that came from the Ontario Hockey Federation via Hockey Canada, so there'll be just some some discussion there. And then, uh, to me, uh, it'll come up at probably at the uh, prior to the Hockey Canada AGM with a possible notice of motion to change the uh, the, the designation to an under eighteen or something like that. So um, we'll hear some more discussion. I think our meetings are mid January. And then uh, we'll see where it goes from there.
0: Tony, it's always great talking hockey with you. Thank you so much for your time today.
5: No problem, Mike. Anytime.
0: That is Tony Martindale, Executive Director of Alliance Hockey. So, a couple things there. If you're just joining us, we started talking about the designations in hockey. And they have this in London Minor Football because they have, what, uh, Tyke, Adam, and Pee Wee, And hockey has Novice mixed in there and Bantam and... If you ask somebody who doesn't know, well, how old is that person? I don't know. What a bantam age. 13, 14. Yeah, that's what they would be. And, of course, we've got the word midget that has been brought up saying that's not an appropriate word. That should be taken out. So, obviously, we have seen a move toward discussion about that. But change the whole thing. I mean, other sports have gone, you this, you this. Very easy to know. There are even some hockey tournaments that become under seven. You'll have your your select teams coming out of Tyke that are under seven. Just stretch that all the way through. It's like we changed the, to the metric system years ago and we left this part of us in imperial measurement. Don't measure in imperial measurement. Why? Because it's it's a mess. And I'm sorry if you lived a lot of your life with imperial measurement. It's a mess. To try and explain how many go... We might as well use 12 hands high. How heavy are you? 14 stone. I am 14... See these stones here? That's what I measure with. I am 14 of these stones. I am 14 stone. It doesn't make any sense. You might as well go back to the barter system. So, to streamline things, just to make it easy to understand. And that's a really good point. I mean, there are a lot of things you can point to for declining registration... The easiest one is the money. Hockey is not an inexpensive game to play because you have a lot of maintenance costs for arenas. Um, If you want to play at a high level, you have a lot of travel costs. Your equipment costs are big. You have to have skates. You have to have a stick. So it's a very expensive sport to play. Now, some provisions and some programs have been created, and Hockey Canada needs credit for them, to be able to help people who might not be able to afford to play The ability to play. Now, if we go back to a conversation we had with Curtis Joseph just a couple of weeks ago, he's somebody who did not have necessarily those programs available to him. And he grew up, if you haven't read his book or heard his story, he grew up basically in a halfway house for men with mental illnesses. And that's where he grew up. He slept on a mattress and somebody had thrown a coat in the garbage. And that was his blanket. And he knew nothing different. He grew up to be one of the best goalies ever to play the game. He was on two of Canada's Olympic teams. So look around the room. Hey, the best of the best at what I do are in this room, and I'm one of them. That's him. And so he was able to do it. So you can always find those stories, but declining registration is a concern. The rise of other sports is a concern. And what was one of the things that was pointed to just right now by Tony Martindale, finding new Canadians who want to play the game. And that story about Sam Kadri is exactly accurate that Sam said, we're going to live in Canada. We are going to play Canada's national sport. And from there he raised a son who now plays for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's, it's a pretty incredible story. Let's take a break. We'll tell you what's coming up after our next news break, which is now five minutes away with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. So I had to pick up my wife last night. I had to pick up my daughter as well. So I, I picked up my daughter, and then we stopped off. My wife happened to be watching the Lions win at a restaurant, and... I walked in, and I'm the guy who, if my wife was to rearrange the furniture in our house, I would sit down and fall on the floor because the couch used to be there. I wouldn't even notice that it wasn't there before. Entire rooms have been painted. I haven't noticed for a week. So I walk in the door, and I see a couple of people that we know at a booth. And I see my wife has a coat with the, the furry hood. And I see blonde hair in the furry hood. And so automatically my brain went, oh, she's over there talking with those people that we know at that booth. And I walked around and I went in to give her a big bear hug from behind. And I realized before I could stop myself, that's not my wife. And I bear hugged a complete stranger and scared them at the same time, too. So I would like to thank that complete stranger for not... Pressing charges of any kind. My wife was just down the way in the booth watching all of this take place. She even said she called my name several times. Can you grow out of something like this? Can that happen? News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio 980 CFBL. Got a note from Rob. If you are a Detroit Lions fan... The Lions can still make the playoffs. He looked this up on CBS Sports. I mentioned that my wife was watching the Lions game. She's a big Lions fan, and I uh, was quite happy yesterday when the Lions won. But thank you to Rob for sending this in. If you know a Detroit Lions fan who's kind of been a little down in the dumps, their favorite team is Lioning, the Lions are going to Lion. Here's how they can make the playoffs, according to CBS Sports. One, win out. So that means you have to win the rest of your games. Two, if the Vikings lose to the Seahawks, the Lions, and the Bears or the Dolphins, if the Eagles lose to the Rams, if Washington loses two games, if the Panthers lose one game, the Packers lose a game to the Lions, and the Bucs lose a game, then the Lions could make the playoffs. That sounds way more doable than I thought. I know that's a lot of teams and a lot of, hey, win this, do this. That's, that's not out of the question, really. But, but, problem is, the Lions are going to lie in. And that's where things will come undone. We are going to host the Junos. That we can say for sure. This is not about, will we make the playoffs? Will we actually make it to the Junos? No, we are going to host the Junos. And that comes up in March. And you may have seen that as the Junos arrive, the organizing committee has asked for $150,000 of the 4% hotel tax, which has been coming in for a few months now, that $150,000 of that be used to put together a fan zone that would be positioned somewhere outside Budweiser Gardens wow what do you think of that immediately people are saying whoa 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 hey junos build your own fan zone why are you touching our hotel tax money well what is this money supposed to be for that's what i'm wondering doesn't this sound like something that it it would work for Wouldn't that show us that, hey, we've started bringing in this hotel tax money and all these hockey tournaments that we're having and all these events that we're having that bring people in and have them stay in London, Ontario, pay that hotel tax? Doesn't that show that it's going to good use? That's what it would say to me immediately. In a moment, we will get a far better view on this because we'll be joined by Ward 7 Councilor, Uh, and a man who has been dealing with this hotel tax, even going back to last council, Josh Morgan. And so we'll find out exactly how this is being handled and what some of the things are that we need to know about it. Josh Morgan, next on London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. So a few months ago, the city began to collect... A hotel tax. That was debated for a little while. Should it happen? Shouldn't it happen? Now it's happening. A lot of cities have been doing this. And now the question is, well, what do we do with this? And a request has apparently come in, and that request is asking for some money to build a fan zone during the Junos outside Budweiser Gardens. Joining us right now, Ward 7 Counselor Josh Morgan. Counselor Morgan, how is Monday going for you?
6: It's going great, Mike.
0: How about yours? Not too bad. Not too bad. Countdown's on, not just till New Year's Eve or a guy in a red suit, but to Juno's and to what? Could be one of the biggest Juno events that we have seen. That's always the goal in London to kind of say, okay, well, how far has everybody else gone? Okay, here's where we're going to set our bar. And we've done a very good job hitting that bar, surpassing that bar. When we look at the request by the organizers of the Junos for $150,000 from the hotel tax, how do you read what's happening here?
6: Well, I think it's expected that we're going to get requests for... um for the hotel tax. Uh, And uh, I should say, of that tax, half of it goes towards Tourism and half of it goes into what is a Tourism Infrastructure Reserve Fund. And so the request is to that reserve fund. And and the purpose of that fund is to actually support tourism infrastructure. Uh, It's relatively broad-based parameters in the fund, but the general idea is that we want to support uh, infrastructure projects that encourage tourism, Finance new projects and that improve venue capacity and sustainability, uh, so that we can attract uh, major tourism events, and of course uh, also to leverage private sector and government capital investments uh, to encourage tourism infrastructure development. And so it's fairly broad, but the, the point here is that uh, we're going to use tourism dollars to support tourism related projects to uh, to kind of create uh, to create a catalyst for more uh, more tourism in the city. So I, I think it's no surprise that we have. Requests related to the Junos, um, and I anticipate we'll have lots of requests related to other tourism-related events uh, to this fund over the over the
0: years. Councillor Morgan, you are the chair of Corporate Services, and there is a meeting tomorrow. At that meeting, will the question come up? Is this particular ask a tourism infrastructure-related ask? Do you think that's what you have to figure out?
6: Uh, yeah, I think that that that's definitely going to come up because I've I've seen some lost uh, Junos spoken about on show on this morning and uh, in, in the media uh, I will say this is a recommendation that has been vetted by our staff uh, on the parameters of the fund and um, and is, is recommended by them and so from from our staff's perspective you know this this certainly fits and I would say the parameters of the fund are pretty wide ranging I think we'll we'll definitely get some clarification on exactly what this will be because I know uh, Mr. Campbell will be there as well representatives from Tourism London to answer any of the questions we have but I, I certainly, from my own opinion, would see this as something that, that fits within the parameters of the fund, for sure.
0: It's strange. When you're lucky enough to be able to save up money or, or find money, immediately you think, OK, well, we could spend it on this, spend it on this, spend it on this. And then you think, yeah, but, but wait a minute. What, what if we just hang on to it for a second? How do we determine how this money is spent?
6: So this is a, a new pot of money that is coming in now through through people having hotel stays in London, and I think there's there's a short term and a long term effects from this. First, we're going to get the short term one off asks related to to either attracting or supporting tourism events uh, in the city, but the the, the, the fund also contemplates uh, the potential for saving up money for larger potential tourism infrastructure projects on the capital side. So you could anticipate, you know, a back-of-house expansion of Budweiser Gardens as something that, you know, we might uh, put together a proposal for and then save uh, a portion of that fund on a multi-year basis to pay for. Um, that would support, obviously, an increased capacity of that facility and um, and obviously enhance our, our ability to attract, uh, you know, bigger and more events. So, uh, there will be both. And I think our approach here is going to be, let's see how this goes for a year. Let's Let's see what the stable level of funding is coming in. Let's deal with the one-off asks and then let's set forward a capital plan in in consultation with our tourism partners on how we can best get the best possible value uh, for this money that we're collecting for the citizens of London by ensuring that we have a vibrant uh, tourism um, industry here.
0: Do you look at advertising in other centres with money like this or is it more to keep it around here?
6: Well, this is really an infrastructure reserve fund. So Tourism London is getting a portion of uh, the municipal accommodation tax that they can use, and their portion of the tax is probably more appropriately used for those external tourism uh, activities. Uh, This fund is meant to be supporting projects, supporting capital, supporting infrastructure within the city that will enhance uh, our capacity to attract uh, the sorts of venues like the Juno's. Uh, or the World Juniors one day, or whatever else we want to go for. Um, and having these in the ability to the where we can support this particular ask, where it's, uh, you know, like out- you described it in the intro, but some outdoor tenting that's going to create a van zone, it'll be heated, it'll increase the number of people who can participate and watch the event, uh, if not inside but outside. Um, you know, that's the type of thing that people who are, are making decisions about where to put their events, they want to see that that's, capacity and support is available to uh to you know to make bids competitive
0: we're talking with board seven counselor josh morgan this exact discussion will come up tomorrow as part of the corporate services meeting one final thing counselor morgan and that is that when this began the projections were hey maybe it could bring in three million a year by the numbers or are we on pace to be anywhere near that
6: yeah i think we are um now i i will say Tourism and hotel stays are obviously fluctuating throughout the course of the year, so we have the actual data now from a couple of months. We see what's rolling in with this tax, and it seems to me like we're on pace for that range. Uh, Obviously, you know, when a big event like the Juno's come, one of the the, the great advantages of of investing in an event like the Juno's is it actually starts to pay the fund back. Um, I know all of the, uh, at least I anticipate, all of the hotels downtown will be sold out for that event, and we may even sell out the city. Uh, for a big event like this, but that's just going to put more money into the fund, and um, and that's kind of one of the added benefits of investing in tourism is it's going to pay ourselves back with that tourism and allow us to do even more in the city. But uh, it's on pace to meet, uh, to meet our expectations so far.
0: Fantastic. Okay, well, we'll see what happens after the big discussions start on this. Councillor Morgan, thanks so much for straightening it all out for us.
6: Absolutely. Anytime.
0: Take care. That is Ward 7 Counselor, Josh Morgan, also the chair of the Corporate Services Committee. We will take a break. Up next, something has gone away in our world. I really believe this. Now's the time when, you know, people are sometimes feeling good, feeling jolly, when this thing would come around. But I don't I don't know whether it happens anymore. Somebody was doing this. Here at Chorus Radio London last week. And it kind of stood out. It was strange. We'll talk about what that thing is next. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Big happy birthday to Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas is 102 years old. You hear references to the O.K. Corral? I know there was an original O.K. Corral, but Kirk Douglas was actually in the movie Gunfight at the O.K. Corral. Doc, you're walking into a
3: stacked deck. If Bailey don't get you, the Marshal will. You'd be smart to get out while you can.
0: You act as if you want to get killed. Maybe I do. That was Douglas at the end. But did you hear at the beginning the thing... The noise, whistling. Somebody was whistling here at Chorus Radio London last week, and it stood out. We don't hear a lot of whistling anymore, do we? When was the last time you whistled? I'm not very good at it, so I don't whistle very much. When was the last time you actually whistled? I don't think it happens much anymore. I think we're kind of closing out on that, because as, as someone once pointed out, whistling... Sounds great to the person who is doing the whistling to anyone else who is hearing this. It's absolute agony in the ears. Chris Cook is a cultural historian at Syracuse university, London, not here in London, the other London. And he has kind of looked into this and he said, go into the streets, into the workplace. It's silent. Nothing like it was a few decades ago when you would hear people whistling tunes everywhere so i don't know whether it's the fact that we don't need to whistle to make our own music you know it used to be you had to have a sony walkman in order to take music with you then it became a discman anybody have a discman i had that you know how long that lasted i don't know a month that thing was fragile hey we'll take something that has a very pinpointed laser and we'll give it to you and it's portable In that you can actually just carry it from place to place. Eight batteries, like you wouldn't believe. And you will set it down and you will sit on it and you will drop it and you will put it in the bottom of a bag and you will drop other things onto it. And somehow it's supposed to live. Yeah, uh, that. No, it didn't. But unless you had one of those things, you weren't bringing music with you. And for a Discman, you weren't bringing music with you for long. Now, we carry around these little computers, and they have all kinds of music in them, and you have your big headphones, your noise-canceling headphones, because you wouldn't want to hear anything else other than the music, like, I don't know, traffic. Please don't wear noise-canceling headphones and walk down the sidewalk. Noise-canceling headphones and sunglasses? That's a bad mix. That's a really bad mix. But we don't have whistling anymore because we make our own music. I think it's gone. If you are a regular whistler, I need to know. Or if you listen to Roger Whittaker on a regular basis, you have to tell me. 519-643-2222. Best is to email Mike at 980cfpl.ca or tweet me at Stubbs980. Because I think this is really, I don't even know if it was ever an art, but it's a lost art. I think we're losing whistling. And I think the world, I don't know if it'll be better off for it. You know, the the whistle while you work song from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It's uplifting. I think whistling from far away can be uplifting. Or whistling for a short period of time, that's a good thing to have. Anything longer than that, anything closer than that, you should probably stay away. Here's something we've got to watch this week. And I guess it was last hour we were saying, based on a study that was beginning that would wrap up in 10 years... Um, We would know whether or not the brains of young people, and I mean really young people, 9 and 10 years old, were seeing the shrinking of the cortex, which deals with information from all the five senses, because of their screen time. They looked at 4,500 kids, and that was one of the things they kind of noticed. So now they have commissioned another study. It's going to cost $300 bucks, and it's going to take 10 years, and they're going to see what the effects are. This may actually be a good thing. Your brain can rewire itself. And maybe that's what's going on, maybe not. Who knows? We'll have to meet back in 10 years. In 10 years, we're also going to be talking about something else. We are going to be talking probably about more and more global migration. Because if you listen to the experts, that's a big deal. Either because, you know, we're lucky enough, we live in a spot that people want to come and live. And we need the immigration. And so we also have the room. We may have more and more people looking to migrate here. Migration into the U.S. is being challenged right now a lot by U.S. President Donald Trump. He doesn't want to see it in ways that it has taken place in the past, but it is going to happen. And if scientists are right and global temperatures continue to rise, we're going to have parts of this planet, not just Antarctica, not just the Sahara Desert, that are uninhabitable. So people are going to have to move. So there is a a meeting that will deal with a document, and that document is going to be dealt with this week. It is the Global Compact for Safe, Orderly, and Regular Migration. And they're in Morocco chatting about this. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is there. And we have seen Andrew Scheer speak out against this. He, of course, is the leader of the Conservatives. And he has said things like Canadians and Canadians alone should make decisions on who comes into our country and under what circumstances. Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, of course, shot back and called those rebel media talking points. But this is a big deal. It's bigger than just now. This is something that we have to have in place. This is something that we have to be ready for just in case. And they you know most certainly will be those scientists that are predicting the warming of our planet are right because you're going to have people who want to leave where they are in droves never to go back and they're going to have to want to or they're going to want to come somewhere and this is always going to be an attractive spot because we have the room but we don't necessarily yes we have the space but we don't Ask people to come to Canada and be pioneers. Yeah, if you want to put together a log cabin in that field that somebody owns, go right ahead. That's not how we do it. So watch what takes place out of this. We'll keep an eye on it this week and we'll get some expert uh, some expert thought on it. It is the Global Compact for Safe, Orderly, and Regular Migration being approved in Morocco. Because that's a big topic. Migration doesn't sound big. It's only going to get bigger. Jacqueline Bell and Matthew Trevithick will have all the big topics of the day coming up next. Thanks to Matt McInnes for his help on London Live. It is brought to you by Winmar, your restoration specialist, on Global News Radio 980 CFPL.